Hi Darklings, the following episode contains opinions and speculation and should be taken as such. These stories depict violent crimes of all types and may be a trigger for some listeners. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to the Darkened Doorway podcast, your doorway to everything dark, crimey and weird. Hi Darklings and welcome back to the Darkened Doorway podcast. Any news? What's happening? We're having a heat wave. Oh, yeah, that's always fun. That's way fun. Yeah. Yeah. But Mm. I particularly like the really like 40 plus degree days and then like the 20 degree days where it buckets down or just does that winter kind of rain thing. Yeah, that's fun. Yeah, it's just delightful. Mm -hmm. Now let's get into today because this one, this one's a two parter, I think, because it's, um, it's quite a lot and detailed. Um, but it's really fun's the wrong word. It's really <laughs> I saw you stammer there. <laughs> really fun. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> no, this I'm not going to go with fun. It's not fun. Yeah. <laughs> it's definitely interesting though. Mm. So today we're going to talk about a lady called Belle Guinness. Mm. So some people may have actually heard of this lady, but I actually hadn't, which was totally weird because I kind of thought I knew most of the well-known serial killers. Mm. Is she related to the beard? Have I don't believe so. No, no. <laughs> As we know, the people who are related to Guinness beer are quite well off, mm-hmm. whereas Belle, not so much. So Belle was born in Norway and she was known as Brunhild Pauldatus Sorseth. Oh, nice. I'm sorry, I love that name. Brunhild, best name ever for a, like a chicken. Yeah. <laughs> Brunhilda. Brunhilda. It's lovely. Good, strong name. So she was born on the 11th of November in 1859, and she was the youngest of eight to Paul and Berit Sorseth. <laughs> She's got the tongue thing happening, by the way. <laughs> like the silence of the land. It's a Norwegian name. I'm having a lot of difficulty saying it. It's spelled S-T-O-R-S-E-T-H. I don't know. I liked your blah, 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 better. That worked for me. <laughs> Storseth. Storseth. Mm-hmm. Storseth. Anyway, so Paul was a stonemason and she was a stay-at-home mum. They also lived on a very small income from a live, bit of livestock farming that they did. They actually rented their farm and had a tiny little cottage where, you know, the 10 of them lived. Mm-hmm. So in the colder months, the stonemasonry helped and I'm guessing in the warmer months, their livestock probably helped them to kind of just stay afloat. Mm-hmm. Now, Belle was known by some other names throughout her life, which I think is important to know. So they called her, here we go, Sternoska Vispala. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm so sorry, Norway, for my pronunciation. And why was she not? Well, this was apparently the local jerks making fun of her because her family were literally just above starvation and she would be sent to gather twigs as they couldn't afford normal firewood. Mm -hmm. And the name literally means Paul's twig daughter. Oh, wow. So they weren't amazing at teasing names. No. (laughs) They weren't great at those. (laughs) Hey, teacher girl. Yeah. (laughs) She got a little bit more hardcore later and was known as Hell's Uh Bell. Mm Mm-hmm. Part of the serial killer thing. Yeah. And the Lady Bluebeard. 
Oh. So I'm not sure if there was like a facial hair thing or whatnot, something something going on there. I don't know. Bluebeard. Yeah, random. Mm. I'm sure there's a reason. I think Bluebeard was that pirate who murdered everyone. Okay. And so not you know, like it. a winter uh, hair growth. It was like icy and blue. No? Okay. I guess it would keep you warm, wouldn't mm-hmm. it? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> now, there are accounts saying that Belle was a hard worker. And if there was something that she wanted, she would show that hardworking ethic because she was only 14 years old and she immediately started working on neighbouring farms, milking cows, doing cattle work, all to save enough money to get her to New York City, which was her goal. Right. There were some reports, though, in 1877, a really horrible thing happened to her. The story goes that Belle got pregnant and there were rumours that it was to the landowners that they rented from son. And they were, as you can kind of imagine, pretty well-to-do. Right. Anyway, apparently she was attacked by a man and assaulted, which caused her to lose the baby. So, hmm. Wow. Now, no one was ever charged, although I'm like, hmm, looking at little rich boy over here. Yeah. Did somebody organise that? Mm. Goodness me. And this was going to be a big hit to Belle because in other families and at the time that this occurred, the families might convince them to marry them to save face. But Belle, she didn't bring a lot to the table, apparently. She was from a lower class and it's reported she was very plain looking. In fact, the the author of Hell's Princess, The Mystery of Belle Guinness, Butcher of Men, the author pretty harshly wrote that she was, and I quote, she was a notably unlovely young woman with a large head, small eyes, short nose and a wide, fat-lipped mouth that when set into a frown, bore resemblance to a frog's. <laughs> I do not like that man. Oh. <laughs> so terrible. Is that just super mean and unnecessary or is it just me? It's very. You just said she's a plain looking girl. Yeah. You have to go into the frog's resemblance. No. Bit harsh. No. And anyway, no. this little rich boy, I guess he did find her attractive enough to make a baby with her though. Yeah, that's right. So, you know. Now, it's suggested that after this attack, Belle's personality changed, which I think, you know, is kind of a given. And the man in question, he suddenly died from stomach cancer, they believe. What? The guy that beat her up? Nice and convenient. The guy that assaulted her, yeah. I think he did more than beat her up. Right. Stomach cancer, as in maybe a bullet to the stomach? (laughs) (laughs) Or, you know, some other method of destroying one's stomach. Poison, my favourite. So it was a bit of a shot to her ego, all of this stuff happening. And the assault, like, it was no wonder she was really motivated to get to New York City. Mm. And also one of her sisters actually already moved there, her sister Nellie. She managed to get enough money and move to the USA and be with her by the time she was 22, which was in 1881. So when she arrived, she thought, hey, new country, you know. New country, new me. So she changed her name to Belle because she was still known as Brunhilde before this when she went through immigration. I don't see the issue with Brunhilde. It's not very... It's like one of my favourite chooks names. I know, but if she's wanting to new life... <laughs> I guess. She probably wants uh, something simple to be American. Shout out to all the Brunhildes. That's a great name. Mm-hmm. <laughs> anyway, so as soon as she arrived, she understandably immediately headed to Chicago to be with, with Nellie and her brother-in-law and got stuck into her new life. 
she was working as a domestic servant and then had a job as an assistant butcher cutting out carcasses oh wow this sounds familiar <laughs> yeah kind of like another person we've talked about in the past mm. Catherine Knight looking at you <laughs> this lady was also very strong and she did really well at this role. Right. She was described as being around 170 centimetres tall and her weight was in the late 90s to 110 kilo mark. So she was physically very sturdy and very tough. Mm. So you got to kind of like her a little bit with that because, you know, she's a go-getter this one. She she's only 21 at this point. Wow. So I couldn't find much about how she met her first husband. So... So there's no guide to 1800s dating, I'm afraid. But sure enough, she met and married a man called Mads Divit Anton Sorensen. I'm sorry, Norway. I'm sorry. I'm trying. So Bell and Mads got married in 1884 and he was a, de a department store night watchman. I'm very dry today. Mads was a not moist enough. And he was... Not moist. It's not moist. Very dehydrated. And he was a department store night watchman. And they actually went on to have several children. But there's conjecture about whether or not they were biologically hers or if they were adopted or fostered. Okay. I think she actually had a bit of a mix. Right. Yeah. So in 1894, a decade later, they bought a candy store together, which unfortunately failed to do very well. Right. Thankfully, though, it was insured. And when it burnt to the ground less than a year later, there was speculation that arson was involved. But they did get a nice payout from insurance. So the insurance obviously didn't think it was that sus. Right. They also <laughs> got a payout six years later when their home also burnt down. Hmm. Maybe they should have stayed away from matches. Mm, mm. Not suspect. No, not at all. So those insurance claims came through just in the nick of time. And it actually was around the same time that the house burnt down that Mads had an insurance policy for $2,000 on him that was about to expire. Oh, no. So they took out another policy to cover because that one was about to run out. Right. So they took out another policy for $3,000, which happened to overlap with the expiring policy on the 30th of July, 1900. Right. And wouldn't you know it, on that exact day, Mads actually suddenly died of a cerebral hemorrhage. Wow. Wow, I was I thought it would be on the 29th, but you know, the 30th. That's really taking it to the last yeah, moment. The only yeah. day they overlapped. That's mm. incredible. According to Bell, he came home from work that afternoon and complained of a headache. Mm -hmm. So she gave him quinine powder. Right. For our listeners, quinine powder was made from the bark of the chinchora tree and was kind of a fix it all. It was used for the treatment of malaria since like the 1600s and it still is in some places. Yeah, I was going to say it still is. Yeah. And it's also was used for cold and influenza-like symptoms, leg shakes, all of that stuff. Unfortunately, it needs a crazy complex dosing regime and its interactions compared to the newer synthetic meds make it kind of redundant. Right. Also, there's some question about the whole leg shaking thing. I read a peer-reviewed paper about it the other day because apparently I can't not do that. <laughs> and they were saying there's actually some quite harmful side effects. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so she gave him the quinine powder and toddled off to make dinner. And when she came back to check on him, he was already dead. He was 45 years old. So the doctor was called and he wondered if the pharmacist had mistakenly given her morphine instead of quinine. And he asked to see the paper it came in. But unfortunately, Belle had already thrown it out. Right. So, yeah. Right. Not yeah. surprising. Now, since 
Mads had died conveniently on that particular day, Bell was able to collect the entire $5,000 payout. So that was a very convenient timing. Very convenient. Very he convenient. Was, mm, he was very considerate. Oh, completely. Mm. But see, this wasn't the first time the family had collected on an insurance policy either. So two of their children had died as infants, you see. Oh. And their daughter Caroline and their son Axel had both suffered from acute colitis. Mm. So a bit about colitis. The symptoms and signs of it are really similar to poisoning. Right. Both show signs of abdominal pain, cramps, nausea, diarrhea, and, you know, death. <laughs> Luckily, though, <laughs> they had both been insured. The family's grief was soothed with the money that came in. Wow. Wow. Why would you insure your infant children? My kids aren't even insured. Yeah, why? Like, that's, to me, that's not a normal thought process. No. I'll insure my children against death. And I understand, like, you know, in the 1800s, like, there was a pretty high mortality rate for infants. I get that. Yeah. How many people actually insured their kids in the hope that, you know, they'd collect? It's so weird. Mm. Anyway. Interestingly, though, the doctor that came to see Mads's body initially thought he'd died of strychnine poisoning, but the family doctor chimed in and said he'd been treating him for a heart condition and that his death was thought to be due to heart failure and therefore no autopsy was deemed necessary. Oh. Hear my eye roll. Hear it. (laughs) My eye roll. (laughs) Really? Who are these doctors? Meh. He's just dead. It's fine. We don't need to chop him up. But they still said cerebral hemorrhage. Yeah, yeah. But they could tell that just by looking at him, apparently. Right. He's a magical doctor. Uh Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Anyway. So who else was insured in the family? (laughs) Who's the next victim? Oh, we'll see, won't we? So Mads' family, though, they thought this was a load of crap. And they actually requested an inquest, claiming that Belle murdered her husband to claim insurance money. But as so often happens, no charges were ever laid and Belle moved away. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. She's a serial killer at this point because that's three people. If she killed them, she's a serial That's it. We don't, you don't know for sure. Mm. Mm. <laughs> so, as of 1900, there was a government census that claims three children still lived with Belle Lucy, Myrtle, and an adopted girl called Morgan Couch, who later was renamed Janine Olsen. Okay. Don't know why. So that's how many that she apparently had according to the government at that time. Is that that she had left? Were the others that passed away? That she had left. Were the ones that passed away biological or adopted, fostered at that point? We're not sure. Okay. I'm really not sure on that one. Right. Details in her early life are a little bit sketchy. Okay. Now, with their newfound wealth and Belle's newfound singledom, she went and bought a 49-acre farm at La Porte in Indiana. So it's the early 1900s, she's female, she has young kids and no husband and a farm to run. So naturally she did what society expected and she checked out the dating scene. (laughs) Luckily, Peter Guinness, a Norwegian immigrant and a local butcher, had become a widow and was free to mingle. How lovely. Yeah, Belle was straight onto this. It was like... Butchers in love. She's all over that, like a rash. They're both Mm -hmm. butchers. (laughs) I know, they bonded. Aww. Mm -hmm. 
And it wasn't long before the lucky couple got married on the 1st of April, 1902. April Fool's. That's a heck of an April Fool's joke on him. Anyway. Uh, But the week after, all laughs were gone when Peter's baby daughter was being cared for by Belle while he was at work, died of unknown causes suddenly. Was she insured? I don't think so. No. Mm. Poor planning. Mm. Poor baby. I know. Peter didn't have to wait long to be reunited with his daughter, though, when eight short months later, he too died suddenly of a skull injury. (laughs) Cerebral hemorrhage? (laughs) Oh, so close. (laughs) According to Belle, Peter had been trying to reach something off the high shelf in the kitchen and he'd accidentally toppled over a sausage meat grinder, which was on that shelf, which then hit him in the head and smashed his skull. Oh, my goodness. She referred to it as a tragic accident. The coroner used a slightly different description. He called it murder. (laughs) But there was still no charges laid, despite one of her children actually telling another child at school that her mother had hit Peter over the head with a cleaver, which did result in the authorities looking into it and the coroner calling it bullshit. But still no charges were laid. Right. Next victim. Now, just- <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> now, just like the last marriage Belle had, she'd had the foresight to make sure that her husband was properly insured. Mm-hmm. So she got another 3,000K from his death. And Peter's surviving daughter, Swanhild, love that name also. What's her name? Swanhild. Oh, that's what's very- Swanhild. Yeah, that's very actually cute. really pretty. It's cute. Mm. So she continued to live with Belle for a year before her uncle stepped in and removed her from Belle's care. So she actually got to survive. Yay. She got to swan away. (laughs) See what I did there. She did. Ah, I see what you did there. (laughs) Welcome to the Dad Joke Channel. (laughs) (laughs) It's late, guys. It's very late here. We're tired. There's been a heat wave. Frankly, we're all very parched. Yes. It's been a lot. <laughs> now, there was one thing Belle failed to mention to everyone at the time of the accusations around Peter's death were flying. And I don't really get why she kept this quiet because it would have generated her a bit of like easy sympathy. But she was actually pregnant to Peter at the time of his death. Right. Okay. So, yeah. So the only thing I can think is that maybe she didn't want anyone to know she was pregnant because she wasn't sure she was going to let it live once it was born. Oh, my. I don't know. Anyway, either way, in May of 1903, her son Philip was born. Now, things seemed to settle into a routine at the farm for a while after this. And in 1906, Jenny Olsen, her adoptive daughter, remember her? Mm -hmm. Got insured and... No. (laughs) (laughs) Belle actually told her neighbours that she had moved to a a Lutheran college in Los Angeles to continue on with her education and the neighbours didn't see her around the farm anymore. Oh, no. So, yeah. So Belle was losing farmhands due to her kids being either taken off her or moving away, etc. She needed help. So she hired a man called – she hired a man. A man. A man. A man, I say. <laughs> so she hired a guy called Ray Lamphier to be a general hand around the property. Mm-hmm. Now, there's a bit of doubt about the nature of their relationship. <laughs> now, the tea is that apparently when Ray had drunk a few too many, he would boast about how he got to have sex with his employer. And I'm pretty sure HR did not like that one. 
they got real hissy. <laughs> you sent me a picture of him. He was he delightful. Is, he is. The locals thought this was bizarre because she was a super tough woman who liked to dress like a man, which is basically saying she liked to wear pants to do farm work. Oh my Shock goodness. Horror. I know. I'm like, have you ever tried to do farm work in a dress? Especially like, one of those really? big, like, poofy ones too. I made the epic mistake of wearing a long skirt while doing farming on our own property. And by farming, I mean gardening. <laughs> and because um, you know gardens I have these very tall like garden beds so I don't have to bend over because I'm an old lady at heart and that's how I had them built so I wouldn't have to get on the ground <laughs> and by the end of that half hour that I managed to survive outside in the wild <laughs> my skirt had picked up every piece of wood chip and bark available to it and I was done <laughs> and it wasn't even the multi-layer poofy ones no no it was not and it was it was horrible <sighs> is it a stick is it a huntsman I don't know oh also side note I um I went to my local tip shop the other day because that's my fun place to go <laughs> and I was lifting up a bucket to use in my veggie garden and when I lifted it up the bucket underneath it slipped off and this freaking huge huntsman jumped out at me <laughs> so I did the very brave thing and I screamed loudly dropped it and jumped away doing dancy hands <laughs> and I had like five different groups of people turn and laugh at me <laughs> and then I used my shoe to nudge it back because I wasn't touching it again <laughs> so brave and when you scream, did you do the man scream or the high pitch girly scream? Because sometimes oh, no, I did I'm, the high pitch. Oh, did you? Because sometimes if I get a fright, oh. I'll go, oh, and then I'm like, oh my gosh, it's not like a man. How embarrassing. <laughs> no, I, I did the full on high pitch girl waving my hands in the air like I, I like, I don't even know what you'd call that, like scared jazz hands. Um, and I danced away from it and everyone laughed. The employees laughed and they know me. You know you're going to have to find a new tip shop now. That's it. You can't go back. I know. Mm. I know. It's unfortunate. I did leave very shortly. <laughs> <laughs> Anywho. Imagine if you had to put that in your car. Oh, God, no. Oh, no. <laughs> I'd burn the car down. <laughs> um. <laughs> anyway, so the point of this story is, I don't judge her at all for wearing pants to do farm work because, no. um, yeah. Mm -mm. Mm -mm. And the other thing that put the locals off this idea that she was having the sexy times with Ray was that she was also able to butcher her own hogs. Right. So I'm just noticing a trend here with tougher women who slaughter animals. But anyway, yeah. whatever Catherine might. <laughs> Unfortunately for Ray, Belle thought he just wasn't enough man for her. And that lady was not satisfied and she started to put out some personal ads into the dating, I guess, section of the paper in the larger cities. He had a spectacular moustache though. Ah, but wait, there will be more spectacular moustaches. Excellent. Now, according to Legends of America, which is a website, the ad read, personal, comely widow who owns a large farm in one of the finest districts in Laporte County, Indiana, desires to make the acquaintance of a gentleman equally well provided with a view of joining fortunes. No replies by letter considered unless sender is willing to follow answer with a personal visit. Triflers need not apply. Triflers. What's a trifler? Is that somebody that 
you know, is just going to stuff like around. a fuck boy. Oh, really? Yeah. Fuck boy. Okay, good. You know, ones that just fuck around. Right. And you're just like, can you just fuck off now? Yeah. Right. Like a player, a player. <laughs> Sorry. I think I went Gen Z there <laughs> with fuck boy. I need to go back a little. <laughs> Our generation was the 1900. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh my God. Oh my God. Listeners, dear listeners, I know this is meant to be a truly horrifying story, but I have a more scary one for you to hear. Oh, no. I read an article today about a lecturer who was contacted by a student who wrote him asking if she could reference some peer-reviewed papers from (laughs) the 1900s (laughs) to support her assignment. And uh, when she says the 1900s, she meant 1994. <laughs> Fuck that person. <laughs> the 1900s? That was six years ago. What was six years ago? I think Becky should lose her assignment. I think Becky should get a fail. <laughs> what are you- and also, you can only reference up to mm-hmm. seven years. Mm-hmm. Them's the rules, kids. They anyway, are them rules. Back to back on track. <laughs> now this ad did the trick because before long Belle was rolling in the dates. She nice. had several with very nice eligible men. And she put on a show for them too. She did up her hair in the latest fashion. She wore some nice feminine clothing, didn't show them her work pants, the whole nine yards. Now, one of the men who came to court Bell was John Moe, a Norwegian immigrant, and he travelled to Bell's farm from Elbow Lake, Minnesota, and supposedly he brought $1,000 with him, which was a metric tonne of money at the time, mm-hmm. to pay for Bell's mortgage. At least that was according to Bell's neighbour who had met him when Bell introduced them. She also introduced him as her cousin, which is uh, odd. Anyway. Within the next few days, he had simply disappeared. (laughs) Yeah. So soon after John's disappearance, Uh George Anderson from Missouri came to the farm Uh also to court the lovely Belle. He was also from Norway and he had responded to her Lonely Hearts ad. Uh And Belle quickly raised the question with George about paying her mortgage for her. And he assured her he would pay it off once they were married. Uh Uh-huh. So after dinner, they both retired to their beds for the evening. And during the night, George was lying in his bed and he was startled awake for some reason. He looked up and he saw Belle was standing over him with a lit candle. And she reportedly had a really unsettling, sinister look on her face. She was just staring at him. And then she, without saying a word, she ran out of the room. That's what Catherine Knight did. George was like, nope. And he immediately left. He caught a train back to Missouri. And in hindsight, this was the best move he could have made. (laughs) In fact, he was the only potential suitor who went to Bell's farm to ever make it home. Oh, wow. Now, it was around this time that Bell started to order these really large trunks (laughs) to be delivered to her farm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) The driver who delivered the trunks, Carl Sturgis, commented that Bell was able to throw these trunks on her back like, and I quote, a box of marshmallows, which kind of gives you an idea how strong she was. (laughs) Marshmallows aren't heavy, though. (laughs) 
Yeah, I know, but she just, these trunks were. So she was just like throwing them up there like they were nothing. Oh, sorry. Yes. Yeah. And once she, yeah. <laughs> As we said, it's very late here. Okay. I'm sorry. That was the blondest thing I've said all day. Uh, that's all right. I asked people who the Prime Minister was. It's fine. Um, <laughs> so she's a tough lady. And once she got the trunks, she would take them into her house and she would disappear with them and she would keep the doors and windows shut to that house day and night. Mm -hmm. But the locals made an observation that they'd seen Belle digging in the pig's pen on her farm at night (gasps) because that's not suspicious at all. Mm -hmm. So So the lambs. (laughs) So the next male speaker was Ollie B. Budsberg. He was an old widower and he travelled from Wisconsin to visit Belle. Mm-hmm. He attended Laporte Savings Bank on April the 6th in 1907 and made his appointment where he mortgaged his Wisconsin farm, signing over his deed and took out several thousand dollars. Oh. And then he disappeared. Oh. <laughs> now, Ollie never told his two sons, Oscar and Matthew, where he'd gone. But once they figured it out then that he'd gone down to see Belle at her farm, they immediately wrote to her. But she, in response, immediately wrote back saying he'd never been to see her. Mm-hmm. She completely denied ever seeing him. Mm. So there wasn't much they could do back then. Her bank account is going up and up and up. Isn't it? She's mm. making some wise investments. <laughs> now... <laughs> After that, there were a number of other men that visited Bell's farm in 1907 that were never seen or heard of again. Um, I've got a list of them, which we'll go through later, because there is literally a lot of them, but we don't have a lot of facts to talk about with them anyway, so I thought I'll run off a list for you later. God, so many! Well, yeah, and everyone seemed to know something was going on, but they didn't quite put the dots together. (laughs) So by December 1907... Andrew Heligen had decided to write to the comely widow from the advertisement. Now, Andrew was a bachelor farmer who was from Aberdeen, South Dakota. <laughs> We're laughing because Aberdeen is where Catherine Knight was from. Yeah, and this was. land is so similar. <laughs> um, not South Dakota, but Aberdeen in New South Wales. So Belle and Andrew shared numerous letters between them until one day on the 13th of January in 1908, Belle wrote the following, which made Andrew unable to resist her any longer. Oh, my goodness. According to the Norwegian Ridge website, Belle wrote, To the dearest friend in the world, no woman in the world is happier than I. I know that you are now to come to me and be my own. I can tell from your letters that you are the man I want. It does not take long to tell when to like a person, and you I like better than anyone in the world I know. Think how we will enjoy each other's company. You, the sweetest man in the whole world. We will be all alone with each other. Can you conceive of anything nicer? I think of you constantly. When I hear your name mentioned, and this is when one of the dear children speaks of you, or I hear myself humming it with the words of an old love song, it is beautiful music to my ears. My heart beats in wild rapture for you, my Andrew. I love you. Come prepared to stay forever. And boy, did she meet forever. (laughs) Wow. Talk about a veiled threat. She's a wordsmith, though. Wow. No wonder he hopped on his bicycle and came 
for a little frolic mm -hmm. in the paddocks. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Rolling the hay. So Andrew literally raced to her side. He took all the necessities with him, including his checkbook with $2,900 in savings. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And a few days after he arrived, they went to the bank in Laporte and deposited the check. He then vanished a few days later and no one ever saw him walk the earth again. Wow. Right. Okay. Gosh, that's a well-used road. Yeah, look, she uh, <laughs> she was very dedicated to her employment. Mm. But Belle was spotted. She was soon seen again, depositing $500 into her account and then a further $700. So she was doing quite well. Wow. Okay. In March of 1908, Belle sent a bunch of letters to a Kansas farmer and horse breeder called Ion Townsend, where she asked him to come visit her, and he planned to do it, but in the spring. So he never actually made it down before fate got involved, which we will talk about soon. Mm -hmm. This was also true of another man in Arkansas who she wrote to on May 4th, and apparently to another guy called Bert Albert, who she promised to marry but then reneged because she found out he was broke. Oh, right. I feel like we need to put that little song in. She ain't getting with no broke niggas. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe we won't put that one in. <laughs> maybe not. Um, so you have to remember that while all this crap was going on, Ray Lampier was still there. You remember Ray? Oh. The farmhand. Yeah. He'd been sleeping with her. Mm. Uh-huh. Now, he'd had this thing going on with Belle, so he was pretty upset watching all these men coming and going. And he'd been loyally serving her the whole time. Didn't matter how gross or bad the task was that she needed doing, he would do it. Uh -huh. But there was only so much he could take because he'd fallen in love with her and he'd started to act out. His behaviour got so bad that apparently Belle fired him on February 3rd in 1908. She then went further she attended the local court and she convinced them that he was crazy and a danger to society and managed to get them to hold a hearing to decide whether or not he was sane oh wow yeah now i have to say his photos didn't help him look sane no no Dude's they got crazy not. eyes he does i'm feeling Doesn't that he? she's being quite clever and setting him up for all of these missing men these lovers She's never been accused of being dumb. Mm. And as for the crazy eyes photo, we will be putting that on our social media because oh, yes, we despite will. his amazing moustache, he definitely has crazy eyes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately for Belle, the plan didn't work out and they found him sane and he was released. So what a time to be alive. <laughs> a woman can get a lobotomy for disagreeing with her family, but old crazy eyes is a man and able to go back to farming because, you know, he can continue with his chores <laughs> is she did he go back to working with her like no surely not i'm not sure i guess we'll find Ooh. out oh but that's us for this week because make sure you're listening next week to hear all the drama that's about to happen because we are just getting started uh-huh so until next time darklings bye 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 the body count continues <laughs>